People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their best seller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blanket. I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply, see site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, is. I am so overwhelmed. There is so much happening right now. I mean, here we are last week speculating about a potential Lenny and Lisa Hochstein divorce, and this week we have him confirming his new relationship to people. I just am heartbroken. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I know everybody was sending us their thoughts and prayers because of how sad we were last week at the mere prospect of their getting divorced. So for it to be a reality is really, it rocked my world. I mean, between last week's episode and this week's episode, I'm in bed one night, scrolling TikTok, having the time of my life, watching Makeup by Michaela, which really soothes me. All of a sudden, I'm hit with this paparazzi video of Lenny Hochstein outside of a Miami hotspot being like, hugged and kissed by this six-foot-tall supermodel who is not Lisa. And he's not moving away. They're filming. They're taking photos. And in that moment, I knew that it was over. And then we got this announcement. That's what I was going to say. His comfort level with the amount of photography going on was when I immediately knew, okay, the divorce papers are in the works. That was more solid than any statement that they could give to any magazine to me. Totally. And then this is interesting. We follow this creator on TikTok at The Kempire, and he pointed out that this woman who Lenny is dating, her name is Katerina Mazeppa, that she was actually at the Hochstein's Halloween Ball in 2020, and she Instagrammed hashtag Hochstein Halloween Ball. So (laughs) (laughs) they're running in the same scene, which is unsurprising, but just another piece to add to the story. It would honestly be weirder if Lenny was dating someone who wasn't at their Hochstein Halloween Balls. Yes. You know, like everybody's there. This is not an intimate gender party. Everybody that they even remotely know or don't know is at these parties and their house is almost like a stage or a backdrop for these grandiose parties with hundreds and hundreds of people. So it sort of makes sense. I don't know if Lisa actually knows this woman, but it's very likely that she doesn't know her. But either way, just hilarious that she has a hashtag with their Halloween party up on her Instagram from two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) The commitment and the respect to the party is really what I admire. Right. And look at where the respect got her. I mean, listen, (laughs) I don't wish for any woman to be moving into that mosaic custom bathroom with a Birkin closet, as we discussed last week. However, if he ends up staying in the house, that's one hell of a bathroom to move into. No, please get your paws off of Lisa's bathroom because I just feel... Like, I've been on such a journey with them. 
from his family, her infertility journey, them having to fight the Miami Conservation Board to get their house built on Star <laughs> Island because because they thought it was the house with Scarface, but it really wasn't. Like there, we've really seen the highs and lows of Lisa and Lenny, and now here we are, where it's the end, and they have two young children, and I don't know how they're going to handle it. Honestly, it seems like he's doing just fine. I don't know how he is on the inside, but outwardly. And with Lisa, I guess, and I'm assuming, we'll now see this play out on the season of Miami, which is lucky for us, but definitely hard for her. Interesting scenario I haven't thought of until right this moment. You're one of Lisa's close friends. Lenny did your first boob job 15, 20 years ago. You're now going in for your second. You want him to do it, but they're in the midst of a potentially nasty divorce. Like, (laughs) Do you go to Lenny Hochstein as your boob doctor or out of your loyalty and respect for Lisa? Do you go elsewhere? And is this a large clientele that's going to be now routed to Dr. Dubrow or someone of the sort? I'm going to reflect on the rules of the Jewish religion, which is that your health comes first. (laughs) And in this case, I just feel like you're not going to let another doctor touch your handcrafted boobs. And I truly feel like Lisa will understand. She's not leaving the Hoxheim Med Spa. That is her baby. She handles the whole facial and injectables department, and he handles the surgical. Like, She's not going to someone new, you know, just because you like divorce the heir of the th- one throne doesn't mean you go directly to the competitor. No way. No. Listen, I'll tell you one thing. Kim Zolciak, no fucking way is she going to anyone but Lenny. She has praised him all over Instagram for years now, calling him the boob god. So when it's time for her revision, I know I know she's going to him. She'll say to Lisa, I'm sorry. It is nothing against you. I just care too much about my tits. And I get it. Emma gets the Hochstein Med Spa like <laughs> weekly newsletter emails. <laughs> I, do, I do. So you really got to keep an eye out because maybe they're going to have some like divorce specials or maybe she'll drop like some tea, like almost like on the J-Lo. She starts using, she starts <laughs> using the Med Spa newsletter as like her personal newsletter. So it's like buried under the weekly hydrofacial specials is like, and also Lenny is dating this girl. Imagine I get an inbox invite, come for a night of Botox and bullshit with the formerly known as Lisa Hochstein. Oh my God. I will be on the JetBlue app booking us the first flight to Miami (laughs) faster than you could even forward me the email. Oh my God. I mean, listen, silver lining in all of this is that they are actively filming. So as we discussed last week, the cameras weren't rolling when Lisa showed up with Larsa to the club. However, listen, last season, what did we see? We saw Larsa Pippen sitting in her old home, signing the divorce papers. And I think fast forward to this season, we will probably get Lisa signing those divorce papers on camera with Larsa sitting next to her. So life comes at you fast. Full circle moment. Very, very. Anyway, I really do want the best for both of them. I want the best for those kids. And I mean, money's not an object here. So I do think everyone will be taken care of. I mean, her lifestyle will have to change a little bit, which I think will be a harsh awakening, but everything is going to be logistically fine. I really do believe that. Me too. Okay. Let's get into Jersey. How do you feel about that? I'm ready. We knew that it was going to be part three of the reunion and we knew that the husbands were going to be on Watch What Happens. So those were two things we had mentally accounted for. We did not know that Joe and Melissa were going to go on their podcast and stir some serious shit up. That was an unforeseen circumstance. It was also an unforeseen circumstance that the house husbands would go on Watch What Happens Live and have possibly the funniest episode that I've ever seen in all of my years watching every episode of Watch What Happens Live. We got multiple. I'm not going to say a lot, but we got, 
I would say roughly four DMs from people being like, this is my only safe space. Is it bad that I'm finding Bill Aiden really attractive right now? <laughs> and like my answer to that is no, I get it. I don't know what happened to me, but obviously Evan is my number one. But yeah, I think I'm attracted to Bill Aiden as well. Do you think that's strange? No, I think they all looked absolutely amazing. And Bill had like a little tan going. He had the suit going. He was being so honest and upfront about all of his misfortunes. Like it was, it was amazing. And not to mention Joe Benigno's lower eyelid surgery, which I think he looks phenomenal. Fabulous investment. POV, I didn't watch Jersey yet. And my friend Val just texted me out of nowhere. Joe B's eyes look really great. And I'm like, (laughs) what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) I also want to say if you watched the episode, you saw that in the first row, Jennifer was sitting next to Brittany, who is Frank Catania's girlfriend. And Brittany is my hairstylist. So I've obviously known about their relationship for a while now, but they've kept it pretty private. And she didn't tell me that she was going on. So all of a sudden I see her on the screen and I'm like, Brittany. (laughs) And let me just tell you firsthand, I have known her for years kindest, sweetest, most down-to-earth woman before the salons were open. She would come over to my house, give my dad a haircut sitting outside, like just a kind soul to her core. And I support that relationship tenfold. So I just had to say on a personal note, I was so happy to see her there. Oh God, I love how small Jersey is. (laughs) It's small. (laughs) There were a lot of standout moments from Watch What Happens. I mean, the whole thing was just hilarious. Personally, I almost choked when Frank Catania looked Andy dead in the eye and said, What's a rom con? <laughs> I, I everything, yeah, uh, everything. I, I just was like literally laughing out loud to myself. Like I rarely do that, and something about these guys just gets me. Everything they said and did, I was just, I was chuckling. It's also those summer house slash southern charm energy that we always talk about. Yes. Where Andy is just on cloud nine. Andy is having the best time. It's specifically the husbands, but it's really, really specifically anytime Joe Gorga is anywhere. Like, I know we always say Joe Gorga has his downfalls a thousand percent, but him and Andy have such a special connection. Andy really loves him and they've been through so much together and they connect on such a funny level where Andy feels like he can really push him. Like they're so comfortable to make the game, you know, truth or you and Joe Gorga drink. Like they make Joe drink the whole time. Like everything Mm -hmm. about it, Joe is just so ingrained in it. So his presence and being sat next to Andy is like, okay, we're in for a good time. We are in for a good time. And by the way, this is the same guy that this week said on the reunion that the men are just more stable than the women, quote, up there. So it's like I have that side of me that's like, get the fuck out of here, you misogynist. And then I watch him on the show and I'm like, but sue me. I enjoy watching him. He's entertaining. Can I say something just before we get into it? Because it's really weighing on me and I need to know what you think and also what everybody listening thinks. Yeah, of course. Between the reunion and the Watch What Happens Live episode, I gotta say, I loved everything I saw about Louie. And that's not to say I believe he's this way all the time. I just, the way that he was with Teresa and also everything he said and his openness and his sort of attitude, just based on these alone, I got a great vibe from him. And I think, let's say we had never heard these other rumors and backstories about him. Like, let's just pretend for fun. We were just basing it off of these two episodes. We would be like, oh my God, Teresa has struck gold. This is her balance. This is what we need. He was being open and honest. He wasn't afraid to challenge her and 
center her and speak to the other woman. He wasn't afraid to hug and kiss Margaret, even though Teresa's sitting there and saying, you're disgusting. Why are you even hugging her? Why are you shaking Joby's hand? I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but I, I felt like good about him. No, I don't think you're crazy for saying that. I very much understand. Listen, I would be lying to you if I said I don't have my hesitations around him. I think a lot of the stuff was slimy, and I'm still processing how I felt about him earlier in the season. I do think, though, for the last month or so, we've heard from Andy and various Jersey cast members that were on Watch What Happens that he really impressed them at the reunion. And I so I think we had that in our minds, and we were waiting to see what was he going to do that Andy would deem so impressive. And he came out, and he was very level-headed. He was very calm. He was both forthcoming and non-defensive, and he was willing to have an open conversation. So I will give him credit for all of those things. What I think can't be lost in all of this is that he didn't have to do much to look good, comparatively speaking, to Teresa. Like yes. the way she was behaving here was so batshit crazy as far as I'm concerned that as long as he kept his calm relatively and was willing to even engage with Margaret, he got so many more points. You know, she really did him a favor. Obviously, that wasn't her intention. She wasn't trying to make herself look all wound up to make him look more calm. But that's kind of what happened. So I guess I just want to be cautious of that while praising him that a lot of it is the juxtaposition thing. He's not afraid of Teresa, and that's something really important and why I guess it works. And I don't know, my feelings about it overall were just, I guess, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was important that he stood his ground and wasn't really feeding off of her energy, which is a hard spot to be in because, like you said, he's the one that has to go home with her at the end of the night. But (laughs) everything aside, I actually, towards the end, I was entertained the entire time. I loved watching it, but I was getting so exhausted. I was like, this is no way to live. I almost wish that Teresa could just remove herself from the reunion for like 10 minutes that we could get some shit accomplished because it was impossible for anyone to have a conversation when she has a one-track mind and that is fuck Margaret Josephs. And she will never get out of that hole. That's what I was thinking too when you were just saying Louis looked great comparatively speaking with Teresa by his side. This was one of the more irrational Teresas that we've seen in a long time, I think, to the point where even Andy turned to her and was like, do you ever change your opinion? Like, I think she's always afraid to look like wrong or that she's backing away from her beliefs or she's just not hearing it. Once she made up her mind that Margaret was the one who put this all out there, there was no changing it. You could literally argue with her, the sky is blue. And if she has decided the sky is green, She's going to say the sky is green, no matter what facts, science, other people, witnesses, even like her partner is saying to her about a case that has to do with him. It's just, it's infuriating. How can you argue with somebody like that? Do you think that she still genuinely believes Margaret is the reason? Or do you think it's more so I've committed to this and I am never going to back down because in her mind that looks worse. Like, do you think it's a genuine belief or do you think some of it is almost an optics thing and a pride thing? I I wish I could give Teresa that much credit, but I really think she has spun this story and views it this way in her head and is unwilling to look at it from any other angles or hear it any other way. Like that is her story and she's sticking to it. And that's genuinely in her heart what she believes. Yeah, I I totally think so too. You can't really fake that. No. And at this point, I think she cares about Louie more than anything else. And if he was also saying it and she was just doing it for optics, she would just go along with him at this point. I think she would say, fine, I understand. As long as Louie's happy, then I'm happy. Like, 
you know, like not not ever lie down, but just sort of like put it tied in a bow and say, let's move forward or whatever. Let's be done with this. But no, she she genuinely, I think, believes this in her heart and is everything Andy and Marge and Louie and everybody say literally goes in one ear and out the other. No, it's impossible to have a conversation with her. I also wanted to mention, I know last week we spoke a lot about the Jennifer-Teresa dynamic, and something I was really paying attention to a lot this week is how Jennifer constantly defends Teresa, even at times when it's unwarranted and almost feels like she's butting in. And it is very infrequent that Teresa speaks up for Jen, only if it has to do with Margaret, maybe, because it's more against Margaret than it is for Jen. But I think when you said last week that you don't think that this Jennifer-Teresa friendship is in it for the long haul, I honestly think what's going to happen, it's not going to be from Teresa's side. I think that Jen is just going to become increasingly frustrated with going to bat for someone that doesn't really go to bat for her. Oh, all signs point to Jen being so over Teresa. I think, of course, any housewife that comes into the situation feels like, I got to win Teresa over. She's fun to be around. She's the queen of all queens of this show and of Bravo and of Jersey. Like, why wouldn't I want to be in her good graces? But now, as I think people are starting to see that she's not really interested in the show, that her number one priority will always be Louie and nobody wants to try and be friends or even have any sort of disagreement with her because this is where it ends up. I think Jennifer's going to kind of make a strategic decision to say, I'm not going to dump Teresa. I'm not going to do anything mean or betray her, but I'm going to back off a little. I'm not going to go to bat for her because there's no way in hell she would go to bat for me. And I think, and I think Jennifer has gained a lot of confidence and is okay with that. Like she doesn't need to lean on Teresa and have her be on her side anymore. No, I think that she is gaining her footing a little bit, but it was noticeable to me now that I was paying attention to it. Right. I think, I know this didn't happen at the reunion, but I do think we need to talk about this podcast for a second because, yeah. yeah. So for anyone who didn't see this, Joe went on Melissa's podcast on display and they kind of spoke about their relationship to the show, Teresa's relationship to the show and how that all meshes together. Some of the key quotes, this one came from Melissa. When Teresa got out of prison, we were able to cast all these new people. We kept the core of the show going. It would have just turned into the show that she had for three episodes, which was Teresa Checks In, which Joe Judice did on his own. And Joe kind of interjected and was like, no, you're being too nice, honey. How about thank you? Because when she was in prison, Joe wasn't working at all either. So they had no income. If we weren't on the show, their kids would not still be living in that house and have food and whatever they did. And Melissa was basically saying that in order for Joe Judice to make money on the show, he needed people to film with. So she was saying they really stepped in. They filmed a lot of scenes with him. And then Joe kind of makes this point about, you know, what if me and you were cast first before Teresa? He's like, in that case, I would have brought all of the family on. I didn't want it to be the kind of thing of like, no, this is our show. And he said basically like, look at the Kardashians. You know, they've been so successful because they bring their entire family into it. So, I mean, this is probably – I would say the most downloaded episode she's ever had because this shit went viral. People were pissed. There's so much to say. I mean, we could probably record a whole episode about this. My first top line thought is why? You promised you wouldn't talk about them anymore. You know what happens every time this happens. I know that they're probably so far past like being able to give a shit because the, the state it's at is just completely irreparable. I I just wish it would end, but I am kind of happy to hear them talk completely unfiltered about it. 
on Watch What Happens Live episode, Andy said, like, you promised you wouldn't talk about her. You went on, you spoke about her pretty negatively, and you basically said, like, her kids would be homeless without you. And Joe corrects his statement and is like, no, I just feel like, you know, this show was built on family drama. and We have made it, like, explosive and this family drama what it is. My personal thought is that it was built on family drama, but it was built on the Lorita Manzo family drama, and then we later transitioned into the Gorga Wakili Judice family. So 100% true, but it's not like he invented the concept. I, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, listen, I think it was ballsy. I think to go on a podcast and say their kids would not still be living in that house and have food and whatever they had if it wasn't for us – you don't just say that. Those are fighting words. And I'm glad Andy confronted him about it directly on the show to basically say, you kind of said the kids would be homeless. And he backtracked a little and he transitioned into more of the family drama, which that is a legitimate argument. I mean, I think people took issue with it because it feels bold for them to say that even that they're part of the reason for Teresa's success. At the same time, though, they did play a very crucial role. I think that it was a completely unnecessary podcast to do, and it didn't help their favor necessarily, but I can't say I didn't like it. Can't say I didn't like it. That's that's not even true, though. I don't want this to be the drama. Like, think about how upset their parents would be. It makes me sad. I know. It's all I think about is their poor parents. I know. I want them to be happy because I've seen – glimpses of it over the years and all we've heard are these stories about back in the day how great they were and I just imagine a world you know the meme that's like a world if blank 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 and it's like a perfect society that's society if Joe and Teresa ever made up I know and that's the thing that I feel like neither party understands whereas we will watch them in their best times, because even in the height of them getting along, there's still going to be little tension. And like, that's fun. The little snarky here or there. That's the shit I can lean into. You remember last season when they went on, I think it was last season when they went on that trip to the lake and Teresa called Joe to say that Melissa was cheating. Mm -hmm. That whole thing, that type of energy where like, they're clearly getting along, but also Teresa's very much getting off on the idea that like, she's potentially causing a little bit of drama and she's able to shit talk Melissa in the process, even if it's a role play. Okay, let's lean into that. Like we can deal with that because we know even when they're good, it's never 100% good. This just feels like we've entered dark territory. Because the problem is they fundamentally don't agree or see eye to eye or see life in any of the same way. It's not like there's one specific thing or communication or like altercation that happened that they can move past. It's that there's so much history and so much that at this point, I don't know how you have a relationship. I mean, I think we've seen bigger feats, but at this point, there always will be some sort of cloud hanging over their head to remind them of the past and things that they've done and said. Like It's almost gone too far, which sucks. I mean, this is a really shitty thing to say, but if you want my honest truth, I think the only way that Teresa and Joe could ever 100% mend their relationship, and this is morbid, is if Joe and Melissa got a divorce. Yeah. Because I think it all comes from the fact that Teresa fundamentally hates Melissa, and as long as she knows that Joe's loyalty is to Melissa and not her, it's never going to be as smooth as it could be. And I mean, it's kind of bizarre to say because they're siblings, obviously, and so this intense jealousy to his love interest like shouldn't be the case but it to me that's the root of all of it i agree i i don't think joe and melissa will ever get divorced so i think he probably knows that as long as melissa's around 
Teresa won't be. Yeah. Yeah. It's shitty, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, okay. This part of the reunion, it wasn't that it was the most intense. I would say last week had a lot more going on, but I found we got more out of this. We got a lot because I think they all sort of broke down. Like as the night goes on, they reach their breaking points. I mean, Andy clearly did. And you see them get a little more vulnerable and we've almost got the bullshit surfacey stuff out of the way. And now we're like a couple feet into it. <laughs> Andy's like, I just want to go to my reservation at Via Corona. <laughs> <laughs> I am not losing my corner table and my fried artichokes and a glass of Chardonnay over Teresa not being able to stop screaming at Margaret. We, it's enough. <laughs> right. it, it's a like, fuck enough. Like, okay, I'll let you do a lot of things. You are not interrupting my meal. Like, absolutely not. If he had a corner table at Isodi and he knew that lasagna was coming out, no. I get it. I fucking get it. We've all been there. Going back to the Teresa-Margaret conversation, we weren't getting anywhere. And I feel like Margaret kept saying her same points over and over and over because she knew in her heart what she was saying was A, factual and accurate, and B, connected the dots and made sense that she was not the one who put them out. Andy is sitting here saying, your ex has put all these things in the press. The reason they put them in the press is because you are now a public figure and you're with somebody who people are invested in their personal life. And also see Margaret making the point of like, why after all the shit I've seen you go through, would I not want you to be happy? Like, it's like finally. And I think Teresa has convinced herself that Margaret is a really bad person at her core and had some something against her when she didn't. Like, she had nothing against her and no reason to do this. So here Margaret is, if we're in a court of law, laying out all her facts and her reasonings and why this is all completely untrue and not has she, as she's perceiving it. And here Teresa is not listening, like we said. And I think it was a real wake-up call and also like, I guess, almost like a little slap in the face to Teresa when Louis comes out and hears these things and immediately is like, I get it. You're right. It makes no sense. And I don't blame you at all for losing my job. I don't blame you for everything that's gone on or been said. I don't blame you for the video thing. The video thing, he explained so perfectly in less than 30 seconds. And it was like, great. But Teresa wanting to cover it up so badly and flipping out whenever anyone brought it up just makes you look guiltier and make it look weirder. In general, of course, I think that Margaret was the far more rational one here. And I believe her entirely when she says she wants Teresa to be happy. I don't know if I believe her when she said that her motive here was really for Louis to be able to tell his story and get the story straight because she saw how this was going to look. Yes. Not because that's not true. You know, there is totally an opportunity if you handle it and play your cards right for it to play out. But the reason that I don't know if I fully believe that is because if you remember at the finale, she said, I was right about Siggy, I was right about Danielle, and I'm going to be right about Louis. So I don't know if she thought throughout the season that he was as good of a guy as she's maybe thinking he is now. Like, I think at this point, she's really turned a corner on him. But I, the reason that I wasn't fully on board with what she was saying. Now I think that's the case. But the reason I don't think that that's entirely the case throughout the season was because her argument at the time was that she just wanted to almost protect Teresa and make sure that whatever was going on was kosher and that he really was as good of a guy as she thought, which is one argument. What she was saying here was more so she knew how good of a guy he was and she wanted to make sure that that narrative was able to play out to the public. I love Margaret. I don't think she's going to those lengths to like 
prove Louis's character. You know, I think that it was fair game to discuss because it was out there. She was going to be the one to stir it up because it's a, you know, very legitimate thing to bring up. I do believe it's fair game. But this is where I was like, all right, I'm on your page fully, but you lost me a little here. No, you're so right. She almost made it seem like she was Louis' hired publicist and it was her job to spin this narrative. Like she was saying, I saw the direction it was going in and I wanted to give him the opportunity to tell his story and be open about it and share what he really did and what was going through and comment on it. It's like, look, I get it, but that's also like not your job. It is your job to keep the story of the show interesting and to want to know things about Teresa and maybe pry a little and get to know this guy and bring up little things you hear here and there. A hundred percent. I get why she did that. She's literally doing her job description, but you're right. Her explaining that one of her motives was to help Louis clear his name and make sure he was getting like good perception was obviously not her number one priority. And she wouldn't like stick her head out for that reason alone. Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I almost wanted to shake her and be like, listen, I believe you. You're not trying to see Teresa fall. I don't believe that you get joy from seeing her unhappy. I really don't think that. But <laughs> you're not like, like you said, you're not leading Louis' PR mission. Like, let, yeah. let's get it straight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to get into that moment between Jennifer and Frank because I found that to be very interesting and very real. But as a momentary palate cleanser, I have to tell you that even in the most chaotic times, I take a lot of comfort in knowing that Dolores and Frank are in a good place and nothing is going to rock them. And it's going to be the most bizarre setup you've ever heard, but it's going to work for them. And the loyalty is undying. And it's not like I think there's a crack in that foundation. But I have to tell you, I was almost surprised as to how rattled I was when I saw that they had that little bit of tension. And then when Frank said that part of it comes from the fact that he doesn't feel Polly understands their relationship and this very unique dynamic. And forget about who's right, who's wrong. I just, I've never seen that. Like I'm used to them having such a united front that when she turned around and she was legitimately pissed, I was so taken aback at how shocked I was. I know. And I thought at first she was like most pissed about the Buzz Lightyear comment, which is like really stupid. But I think that alludes to a much bigger conversation about the dynamic, which is not only are they super untraditional and he is used to her dating David, who he now fucking lives with. So imagine how her current boyfriend feels about that. But also that she's happy and that Frank is like probably the only opinion she really, truly cares about. And I think he was being much nicer than he wanted to be about how he feels. But then again, on Watch Rapids Live, when Andy asked him to rate how strongly he believes in their relationship or how long it'll last. He gave it a seven and a half out of 10, which I think is a really nice, generous score. I think that was the right answer. Yeah. He's trust me. He's not trying to fuck with Dolores. That's the last no thing one that he is. wants. No, he's not. But also he really deeply, deeply respects her. And yes. I think that he understands if he maybe has to take a step back in order to make sure that their relationship is as rock solid as it's always been. He will. I just hated that moment. I like, I really would so much rather have, more of a boring reunion than any sort of drama or tension between her and Frank. It almost felt like my center of gravity was misaligned. Our Catania North Star. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Thank you for putting <laughs> words to my thoughts. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, the moment between him and 
Jennifer and then, you know, Dolores getting in the middle. I don't know. Everyone on Twitter thinks that Andy is super biased to Jennifer and perhaps that's true. I thought this was such bullshit, this line. What he said to her was true. You're not guilty for the fact that you were digging. You feel guilty over the fact that you got caught. And she's trying to pin it on Frank or trying to get Frank to cover for her. And it was like, this is, I don't know. I just felt like you're barking up the wrong tree, but maybe I'm off. Well, the moment that I felt a little more recentered with Dolores and Frank was that Dolores already, she's so over Jennifer. She doesn't like her. She doesn't like how she operates. But then when she's getting Frank involved and pulling him in and trying to make him look like a bad guy, she was not having that. And she really lost her shit about that too. Yeah. And I got it. I get it. I don't blame her. No. I thought honestly that I'll tell you honestly, maybe it's naive. I believe Jennifer and Bill when they say that they're in a much better place in their marriage. I do too. And one of the most interesting and I feel like really honest things that Jennifer said or really that anybody has said was when she said to Melissa after Melissa prompted the question, her as her own solo self felt relieved that this was brought up again and it felt like a little bit of public shame for Bill and he had to own up to what he did and maybe rethink it again. But as a mother and as a family, she absolutely hated it, which I think is a really self-aware and like intuitive thing to be able to understand and also to admit on TV to everybody involved. I felt for her in that moment and I absolutely applauded her honesty. That's a bold thing to say. And you know something? I think that it took a lot of self-reflection for her to even get to the point where she could confidently say, yes, I wanted my husband to have to face this publicly. You know, she had really been trained in this mindset of like, no, I have to protect him at all costs. And here she basically was able to make that separation of like, I was trying to protect my family. I didn't care too much about protecting him because I, not that I wanted him to suffer, but there was a part of her that felt vindicated in that. And I don't think you can fault someone for that, especially someone that's buried it for so long. And who's able to admit it to not just herself and not just to her husband, but to everybody and say, yeah, and that's a normal thing. Is there anything else you want to mention from this reunion? I got to be honest with you. (laughs) I'm just exhausted by it. Like I just needed this season to be over. I know we're missing some shit. It was just a lot. It was a lot. I actually think this third part was the best part of all three, which is great. And it was a okay season. I was definitely entertained. We've seen worse. We've seen better. And I'm excited to see what they do next season. I would say it was an okay season with an excellent reunion. Yes, fair. Do you think this is one of the best reunions we've ever seen? It's It could be up there. To me, it's up there. Yeah. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. Okay, let's go to Beverly Hills. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. 
And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray, and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray, and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real, and for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. As I was watching last night, I posted on our story, Googling Diana Jenkins' net worth. And when I tell you, we probably got a hundred responses of people saying they were doing the exact same thing. It made me feel so not only seen, but also like, okay, we are all on the same page here that there's extravagance and then there's this. And this is not your typical Beverly Hills wealth. Like this woman is rich. I'm so into her. I know we are infamously suckers for the money and I've been proven wrong time and time again, but this feels like real money because she got it in a divorce. So like the money is actually physically there and everything about her is super glamorous. And I sometimes I'm skeptical when they really talk them up about being these celebrity socialite friends and money and all this stuff. But then upon further research, you realize that's actually like very true. Like she really was an it girl in Europe. She really does mingle around with all of these celebrities. And to me, that is just the best thing I could ever ask for in a housewife. Yeah. I mean, she got about 200 or so million in the divorce. She also then founded Neurobrands, which is a very successful drink line. I mean, she has done incredibly well for herself and you see she really lives it up and she's shameless about it in a way that I find to be really fun and not arrogant. I think she leans into the extravagance and to me, it momentarily, it's very different, but it momentarily brought me back to the Adrian Maloof, Lisa Vanderpump being across the street from one another days. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is even a lot more money, but I don't know. It's just fun to watch. I also like the way that they edited this episode together kind of because she got a lot of airtime and it was a crash course in Diana Jenkins. Her backstory, her relationships, her kids, like her money, her everything, her outlook. And I feel like we actually really got to know her in such a short period of time instead of it just trickling in over episodes. It was like, no, okay, here's a TED Talk on me and why I'm cool and why you're going to care about me and how I fit into this group. Yeah. And personally, I mean, I subscribed. I'm into it. Oh, I was hanging on to her every last word. I think she's one of those people that you kind of just get infatuated by. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying that's the type of character that you end up liking the most at the end of the season, but at the very least, you know you're not going to be bored. Totally. We're not going to be bored with her. I know that already. Right. Like this would probably be the exact opposite of the feedback that Teddy Mellencamp gets. <laughs> Literally, right? I can't believe the same people that hired Teddy hired her, you know? Yes, yes. It, but listen, you have to acknowledge people for <laughs> the positive changes they make. Absolutely. Okay. This is how I feel I need to start. Okay. <laughs> okay. I need to be transparent about something, which is when I go online after Beverly Hills, I feel like I'm in a slightly different universe because it feels like it is just a worldwide Sutton Strack fan club. And I really like aspects of Sutton. I am so happy she's a housewife, but I feel like I'm missing something because I don't think she's as great as everyone else thinks she is. And I know a lot of it comes from the fact that she is fearless in terms of calling out Erica. And that was really respected last year. And she's willing to go head to head with people. And I totally appreciate that in a person. But to me, I guess I'm equally as turned off by some of the things that she does. And so I I must be missing something because I really feel in the minority. I guess as a housewife and an instigator of drama, and also as someone who steps up and is not afraid of Erica or afraid to bring receipts to Rinna's own party about her, that I can 100% appreciate and respect as a character in a show. You know, like we always say the separation. I think she's a good housewife. She's a good addition to housewife. She brings interesting storylines and pushes back on a lot of the women, which maybe they're not used to. Even with Kyle having that conversation about Dorit, she just like brings this like kind of weird, interesting twist. So I guess if I'm a producer, if I'm somebody who just cares about the show staying spicy, like I I get it. But I think the angle that you and I come from a lot is I, I don't get her. Like I, what, I don't understand her as a person and I feel like her opinions and things are a little bit just out of left field sometimes. And as a person, I can't quite figure her out, which is really frustrating because some moments she reacts one way and then some another. And it's hard when you have no idea what someone is when you're watching them like this and understanding them because I feel like I have such a full 360 understanding of all of the other women. Right. I mean, okay, let's remove the Rena conversation for a second because that's totally separate. And I think in a lot of ways, there was more legitimacy to that there. There was stuff on both sides. There were receipts. Like we can get into that in a moment. But I think that this is an interesting thought exercise, which is if you go to the conversation she had with Kyle about Dorit, and then you take it to this week where Kyle presses her again and still she kind of pushes back and she explains some of her reasoning. But in general, I think that she isn't fully understanding why Kyle is feeling the way she was. If hypothetically speaking, the roles were reversed and it was Kyle or Garcelle or Rinna who appeared as out of touch in that moment as Sutton did, I do not think that the audience would give them a pass in that way. And I I guess I'm just confused as to how it was so easily glossed over. And maybe it's because, like we said last week, there are people that feel skeptical about Dorit's robbery. There are people that really dislike Dorit. Maybe that's partially what's factoring in. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm just trying to think. But I just feel like if it was someone else and their friend is crying about their friend being held up at gunpoint and being robbed and their response was, I'm just so upset about my designer not being able to get into the country, I think they would be absolutely ripped to shreds. And I guess I'm I'm saying honestly, like I'm just trying to figure it out because I, I really do feel like I'm missing something. So if anyone has thoughts as to like why you personally 
enjoy Sutton so much as a person, forget about her as a housewife. I'm, I really want to learn. Like I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's a, it's a total double standard, but I think that's also the way that everybody views housewives. Like that's sort of the unspoken rules that we're allowed to have double standards because it's housewives and why not? Right. I mean, that's my entire stance on Erica Jane. Yeah. How many, how many shitty things has she done and how mean can she be at the same time? I think she is literally one of the most entertaining people ever. Erica and Christine on Watch Happens Live is such a good watch. That was such a great pairing because you saw for the first time in a very long time, Erica realized that she wasn't the most dramatic person there. And she wasn't the villain. Out of the two of them, Christine was ripping apart her own cast, being super shady, saying things like, I don't know. And Erica kept saying to Andy, I am so happy right now because she could just sit back and anything she said or did didn't look as bitchy as Christine was, which was great. I mean, that's Christine's character. And I think they both play the same role on their own shows sometimes. But the contrast just of how they were specifically last night, because Christine is out to talk about selling Sunset in this way to promote her book and spill all the secrets. And Erica's just there to have a good time and hasn't been in the clubhouse in so long. It was best dynamic. It was so fun. And I saw a video of Erica leaving Watch What Happens and she was in that full Versace outfit and she's standing on the street kind of just posing for the fans, posing for the cameras and totally, you know, hamming it up. And I would say to myself, you know what, Sumi, this is the shit I want for my housewives. Play into the character. I think the show is so much more fun when we acknowledge them for the characters that they are. Yeah, totally. I mean, you want to get into the Rena shit because this was bizarre. Goddamn. What? is happening here. Wait, I just went to go look at Rinna's story because I know that she had posted, quote, her receipts and I felt that it was relevant to the conversation. And she's shadow banned. Did you know know. that? No, I couldn't find her. Yeah, you can't find her unless you really search her entire name. That's interesting. Very Hmm. interesting. Yeah. I know this may feel a little bit backwards, but I almost think we should go in reverse order because after the episode aired, immediately the Reddit thread started going wild. And it turns out that Sutton really did donate about $78,000 to the charity in 2019. And according to Reddit users, when searching the database, they could not find any donations from Rinna or Harry. So that, in addition to the fact that Sutton had her receipts at the table, then Rinna posted on her story email confirmation that Sutton had canceled her table, proof that they went with IMDb, that they weren't her guests. There's still a lot of kind of bullshit. Like, it doesn't fully make sense. I think there's aspects of truth to every story. I completely think that Sutton's donation was very real, and that's probably one of the reasons that she was so taken aback by the accusation. I also think that Rinna wasn't her guest at that dinner. So... I understand being pissed coming from both sides. I think that Sutton was probably really personally offended on a character level that like, I donate a lot of my time. I'm a very philanthropic person and you're going to come at me for this. I also think Lisa's really pissed that she said that in the first place on Watch What Happens because that's what I was almost saying previously. Like, If anyone else had done that to Sutton, think about how mortified she would have been. And she acknowledged it. I mean, she said, I'm sorry that was wrong. It's just an interesting game. It's so interesting, especially because it's coming down to probably the most sensitive kind of thing, which is money donation and charity. And then also like elite social status being invited to parties. Those are the two trigger points that I feel like a lot of housewives have. So for this argument to be all about that is almost the perfect storm. And of course, there's caveats to everything. I I mean, when you donate under a certain amount, it's not reported. When you 
go as a guest. It's not reported, obviously, like what you donate. I mean, there's so many things here, but I do feel like it will actually be sorted out because everything is so documented and the receipts are so legitimate that I feel like at the reunion we'll actually get the full story of what really happened, which I honestly am curious about. But at this point, I almost feel like maybe it's just a lot of broken telephone between publicists and people running the party and Sutton and Rinna and what they're both hearing. So whatever, regardless of whatever really happens, the way that it's going down is so just amazing to watch. Well, it almost reminds me of two seasons ago, I believe it was, with that issue between Kyle and Garcelle, where Kyle basically said publicly on the reunion that Garcelle never paid, and it ended up being an entire miscommunication. Garcelle sat her down, explained why that was not only hurtful, but also a problematic thing to say because of some of these racial stereotypes that that only enforced. And it was like, ended up being honestly a pretty impactful and productive conversation. But I feel like across the board, even people that are very big fans of Kyle, as I know you and I are, we were turned off by that. It just felt like the kind of thing you just don't mention. There are some places you just don't go. And I felt like we as a collective audience realized, you know, we're going to move past that. This is just shitty behavior. It's almost gross. And then Sutton does it and everyone, because they dislike Rinna so much, is just cheering her on. And to me, yeah. I, I, it's, it's like, let's just all not do it. it. It's gross. I know. I guess the charity thing should just be off limits. Like donating your time or anything is like enough. And it's also, they're donating such big amounts though, that I understand why Sutton would be so upset that Rena is insinuating that she pulled out a whole table. I don't know. It's just, it's so fucking messy, but getting down to the logistics of this dinner when they're at, it's Rinna's party and Sutton is sitting there sitting on a receipt literally in her purse and Garcelle is like, pull it out, Sutton. Come on, like put your big girl pants on. Let's fucking do this. It, the whole thing was amazing. Well, Garcelle's a really good friend. I mean, yes, I genuinely don't think that Garcelle wants to see Rinna squirm. Like, I don't think that's her intention. What I think it is, is that she knows sometimes Sutton can have a really clear path, but she just gets frazzled. Like sometimes she has a hard time actually getting her point across. And so I think Garcelle has the wherewithal to be like, listen, if you came here to do this and you're getting sidetracked, do the thing you came here to do. And so I don't know. I didn't find her to be an instigator. I just found her to be a good friend in that moment. I guess they all decided at the table once Diana said it that the whole conversation felt kind of off. And then I guess everyone agreed. I also think, to be quite honest, both Rita and Sutton realized that maybe there were some lack of consistencies in their stories. Like, no part of me thinks that Sutton didn't donate the money. I think 100% she did. I also think that maybe there was something with the table. So, it just You could tell they were like, you know what, let's actually not open this can of worms because it's half open and it's about to be a shit show. Yeah, I felt like they showed up to the duel and they're like, okay, wait, 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 we're not ready. We're not ready. Like, hold on. Like, let's go back and we'll regroup in, in a couple of days. Like, they had to get all their ducks in a row. I mean, even to this day, think about it. Rinna's now posting emails. I don't know if she showed them to Sutton. Like, we'll see on the show. Maybe she does show them. Maybe they talk about it. Clearly, they're going to come up at the reunion. I wouldn't be surprised if Rinna pulls a Jennifer Aiden and has them printed on huge poster boards. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of funny what Kyle said in her confessional about how once Diana said, no, we're not doing this, it's kind of classless, that everyone almost put their receipts away because <laughs> think about it. This is Diana's first episode. It's her first interaction with the entire group. And somehow, and I know part of it is because of her connection to the charity, but somehow her presence is so, I guess, respected or like revered that 
people are listening. I would say that it was a unique dynamic for a rookie, and this is probably fucked up, but it's true. I think it's her level of wealth that made her feel like not your average rookie. It's her status. It's everything. I think she came in and people know who she is, and they all want to impress her in one way or another. Whether they realize it or not, they actually care about what she thinks, and it's not like some newbie who's just trying to get a word in. She really like commands the room, commands attention, and almost her lack of caring if they like her or think she's cool is what does has the opposite effect. Yeah, and also, and we always talk about this, there is something very unique about knowing a housewife does not need this show. Like no part of her needs this. It's just a fun activity that she decided to do. So she can have fun with it. It's not make or breaking her source of income. Absolutely. The other thing about Diana is that five minutes into her first episode, she drops the fact that she was with Kim at the time of her Paris robbery. And she explains how she left a few days earlier because she didn't feel safe. But you don't fully know, okay, how well does she know Kim? And then upon further research, when Kim did her 2018 L cover, she did it at Diana's house. She literally posted, thank you to my friend Diana Jenkins for letting us use your amazing home and stocking us with the best neuro drinks all day. So again, they're all in this world, not the craziest thing ever, but at least that story wasn't bullshit. It wasn't a name drop. I mean, she's in. I guess my immediate with Housewives is always to be so skeptical because we've been burned so many times in the past. So I'm like, okay, do you mean you were in Paris the same time as Kim? Like, I I just didn't know. And then when I researched, you know, they have photos together from this Elton party, which is really a big deal, a big event. And clearly the Kardashians are going all the time to these things. But it was just so interesting. And she name dropping Kim. I'm like, are you kidding me? That is the best thing ever. That's like the crossover of our dream, specifically on Beverly Hills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't even talk about the Sutton Erica moment at the table, which I thought was, it was fun. Like, I didn't know why everyone was getting so upset about it. To me, I was like, let it rip because it was so much less intense than in the height of the shit going on with Erica and Tom, now that the dust has settled, it almost feels like your old school housewives fight. And to me, it's like, yeah, they're matching each other's energy. And they're open about the fact that they just don't like each other. And think about it. That is what we hope for so many times. We always say, can you guys just admit you're not each other's biggest fans? And it would make it so much more entertaining because it would feel more real. This is when I was like, okay, I get this Sutton hype because she is literally sitting there and says like, I just don't like you. Like they're, they were so matched in energy and it was amazing. You're so right. And this is the kind of shit that feels old school because it's the fighting, but it still has that hint of like catty jokingness in a way where you know it's not like super, super serious, but it's just shade. And it was, oh my God, the escalation, it was it was a moment for sure. And I, I loved it. Honestly, I can't even lie. I was eating it up. I was too. And I think that they both were. I mean, Erica certainly was having fun. And I don't think that Sutton felt an ounce of fear. I mean, if you think about Sutton's expression from this dinner in comparison to the dinner at Kathy Hilton's, and I know it's a very different situation. Clearly, it was much more lighthearted. But this is what I was here for. I was like, all right, you've gotten your footing. Exactly what you said. I get it. I get this part of it. Do more of this. I'm into this. Just like, the hypocrisy, I think, is what was bothersome. This was a great episode. It was one where when it was over, I was so upset that it was over because I was on the best ride of my life. I will just follow Diana around. Like, I want to go to the <laughs> house. We haven't even been inside her closet yet. Oh, God. I'm so scared. It's kind of like how they say when one good thing passes, another thing arises. And that's almost how I feel about knowing for a fact we're most likely losing 
Lisa Hochstein's Birkin closet, I feel like we're getting this infusion, which it's got to be fucking orgasmic. I'm excited. I'm really excited. It's going to be a grand reveal for sure. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. I'm looking at this outline and the first thing I see is Candy wants an EGOT, comma, not having sex with Todd. <laughs> like, imagine trying to explain that to someone that doesn't watch the show. Like somebody looking over my shoulder while I'm doing, quote, work, like yeah. at a coffee shop and all they see is the headline, Candy wants an EGOT, comma, not having sex with Todd. <laughs> Drew didn't realize that the girl was saying Anthony said her husband is gay. Like, these notes are hilarious. <laughs> quote, Candy sucks dick in locker room. <laughs> I wouldn't say this episode was necessarily anything to write home about. I had fun more than anything. How did you feel? I always have fun. It felt like classic Atlanta. Like this is it. This is what I'm here for. And it was just like perfect. Honestly, it was perfect. My biggest takeaway is that we really needed Sheree back. And you know how much I celebrate Marlo getting her peach and that's not lost on me, but we really needed Sheree back. You just can't replicate an OG. You can't. And Sheree has not missed a beat. Like she does not even need to warm up. She jumped right back in and came in exactly where we left off with her. I know. And what I kind of want to say to Drew is like, forget about in the eyes of public perception. Fuck that. Just in terms of this group, I feel like going up against Sheree is not your smartest move here because I just don't see a world in which you win. Especially with someone like Drew who just like lives in a glass house. 
mm-hmm. and there's so much shit for Sheree to pull out. And I, I mean, I don't know. It's almost like Drew is such an easy target. And then you have Sheree who has been literally training and honing her craft for all these years. She invented the craft. Like this is her game. A moment to acknowledge is when they initially said the rumor about Ralph being gay. And you see that Drew was relatively calm. You know, she didn't really react. And I was thinking like, wait a second, there is no way that she just heard that her assistant said this and didn't have a stronger reaction. And then it was like a two minute delay once she realizes what was actually happening and you realize it was just a hearing issue. Yeah, that's the problem. Like they're having this conversation at a huge table birthday party. And so much is literally getting lost in translation, like a game of telephone details that are very key to everybody's argument and side that would completely change the direction of the conversation. I mean, just generally speaking, I feel like sharing an assistant in general, even a former assistant, is just messy, especially if the assistant is someone that maybe desires fame or clout because they're just going to start throwing shit out. And there's something about this guy you can tell he wants to be a star. And that's like red flag number one. But to be an assistant that like you share with other women that you maybe could have beef with or that are on the same show with you, I don't know. It seems like an all-around awful, awful situation, even though I don't think he was so in Sheree's life. like It seems like he's way more involved with Drew. And for Sheree, it seemed like he was maybe more hired on a freelance basis in specific projects or whatever. I don't know what his like specialty is, but that's just like having someone in your home and literally being a spy that could play both sides and knows insider info on somebody that you're going on a show with is like, it's almost the best case and also worst case scenario that I could think of. Everyone here needs to take a page out of Kris Jenner's playbook, which is signing an NDA upon entering her home because we could avoid a lot of these conflicts. Well, that's the thing. I, I Maybe they do sign NDAs. I don't know. And also, I think at this point in time, Sheree wasn't part of the show and Drew wasn't part of the show. Like, who knows? These are all really small communities and towns and like groups of people that they run in that I feel like this kind of overlap could possibly happen all the time. And if there's one thing I've learned from Housewives and watching all these Bravo shows is that staff, assistants, glam, hair, makeup, like all the teams that help make everybody's lives run smoothly are the ones where like the true gossip and truth always comes out. No, it is hands down your most valuable asset. And that's why you have to treat the people that work for you so, so kindly. I mean, if you're anyone, but specifically if you're someone in this situation, because they have a lot more ammunition than you think. I mean, aside from the fact that on a daily basis, they are solely responsible for making your home run smoothly. So like they could screw you over very easily, but also just in terms of the drama of it all. I honestly think if I was a housewife, I would make my glam like sign a non-compete because it's just you get too vulnerable once you're in the glam chair. So I just would be too afraid that anything I said or did or my secrets or my anything would end up in someone else's lap. So I don't know. I feel like that needs to be like a new rule. I mean, how crazy is this? Like 10 seasons ago, these women weren't even getting glam. Like when I watched the like older seasons of New York, it was a big deal that they were like getting their hair blown out for this fancy party at night. And now, I mean, even Andy said on Watch Happens Live this week about Beverly Hills, you know it's true love because they didn't even get glam to come to Dorit's house in the morning after the robbery happened. And that seemed like a big deal. 
Oh my God, it's become so normalized. And not just with Glam, but also with any sort of a staff. Even here, Drew saying that she has three assistants. It's a lot, but it's not that crazy. I mean, if you look across the franchises, I think I would say there's a lot of women that have multiple assistants. Jen Shaw. Right, right. But back in the day, that would have never, ever been a thing across franchises. No, never, never, never. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I'll I'll say one thing about all of these rumors regarding the paying, the Ralph, the this, the that. There's probably smidgens of truth with everything. I don't think things are just coming up out of thin air. At the same time, I definitely think this guy has a desire for some sort of fame. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. This game at Brooklyn's tea party. (laughs) I mean, Kenya is nothing if not the queen of being so shady like disguising this right after like a little questions about brooklyn what's her middle name when did she start to walk okay let's read our deepest darkest secrets about people at the table and just like you know it's a adult game no (laughs) when they are sipping tea and they pick up the card saying candy sucks stick in the locker room i thought i was gonna lose it (laughs) it literally felt like they were reading the burn book from Mean Girls. Yes. I couldn't order on Law Archive. It was empty. Like t- that is a dagger in Marlo's heart. That's the worst thing you could say to this woman. <laughs> Trying pack is a grotsky little biatch. She made out with a hot dog. It was one time. Like that was what I felt like they were reading. Literally, yes. Like the pre-owned Rolls Royce. You're like, oh, I heard her Rolls Royce was pre-owned. Oh, when you go on Law Archive, no, there's nothing on her website. I like no what and then like they're all trying to figure out whose handwriting it is i mean there's only like 15 women at the table i didn't think anybody would actually write things that were legitimate like i thought everyone would be like oh this is so silly of course you'll get caught like what kind of drama am i trying to stir up today while my kids are on the other side of the room eating a cupcake no 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 they they did not skip this opportunity No, they went in, but that's the thing about the Atlanta women. They're willing to go there, and that's the reason that this show has been so successful for this many seasons. I know. It's true because a lot of other people just wouldn't engage in this or they wouldn't take it seriously, and they would wait until they're behind closed doors to say the things they're thinking or try to get the rumors out there, but God, I loved this. You know what? It is a good way to get everyone talking. I'll say it. It's ridiculous, but I loved every second of it, obviously. Yeah, same. What are you, not crazy. I obviously loved it. <laughs> By the way, I know everyone is so excited about Southern Charm coming back, and of course I am as well, but that energy that everyone is having for Southern Charm is how I feel about Potomac. Like, I am craving it. I know. Because seeing this level of, like, drama and willingness to go there, it's such Atlanta energy, and I feel like Southern Charm is so the opposite, like what I was just saying, where – They don't say anything to their faces. It's 100% of the time behind each other's back. Yeah, completely. Did you see Ashley's story today, by the way, where Michael's in the background with the kids? No. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Yeah. I mean, it's it's not that shocking. It just shows that I guess they're cordial. (laughs) And you know what? She's probably playing her cards absolutely right. I know. I just like feel bad. I felt like after last week, she never had to see him again. You know, I know, I know, but I think she so knows what she's doing. I am telling you a year from now, we're going to be on this podcast and I don't know if she's going to be dating someone or not, but we're going to turn around and be like, damn, she did exactly what we thought she would. I'm so excited to watch this unfold. Another thing we didn't touch on is the revelation that Drew and Ralph have not slept in the same bed since their last argument, which minor in the scheme of things, but maybe a step in the right direction. I don't know. This whole situation is so frustrating. Like, I just can't. I literally want to just say to her, like, 
keep him in a different room, keep him in a different house, like keep him, let him go in a different marriage. I mean, even here there's discrepancy. Like you went out after you went and got drinks with your friend and he's like, what's the big deal? Uh, that night was shit and is clearly blaming a lot of it on her and how he was trying to like sweep her off her feet, which like we said last time is a huge just like manipulation tactic and way to try and get her to forget everything that he's done that is so wrong and feels like it can be solved because of one cater dinner and a Gucci dress. It's it's absolutely so frustrating and I love her and it's hard because I also feel like I don't agree with her in every situation, but I feel like she really is level-headed and honestly gives other people pretty good advice so then when she gets home and she's dealing with her own shit it's like hello give yourself the advice that you would give to others I know that's such a common problem that so many people have but well that's why even in this episode when she's saying that he's in LA and she's appearing kind of sad about it to me I'm like let him go away for as long as physically possible because only in the separation are you going to be able to see the situation clearly. You know, when someone is down your throat like that, he, he's constant. He doesn't stop. And we talked about it last week. He has this, he has these real misogynistic tendencies. He has this idea in his head about how women are supposed to speak to men and how women are supposed to treat men. And it's highly antiquated, highly toxic. And so to me, I'm like, let him stay and maybe let you come to terms with it when he's not in your face. Yeah. Do you think she really misses him though or it's all just like she feels like that's what she's supposed to say? No, I think that that's what she's supposed to say. I, I I think no matter what, she still feels a responsibility to defend him, which I understand. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your spouse, but it's unfortunate because he just makes her look bad. And yeah, let me be clear, his behavior doesn't make her look bad, but when she goes to bat for him, then I think that's when people have an argument. Right. Like she's consistently on the defense of like why she's still with this guy, even when nobody's saying anything about it. Like she just is constantly thinking about what image she puts out and like how he is a good husband and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I can't see a world in which this marriage lasts, but maybe I'll be wrong. I hope I'm not wrong though. I think for everyone's sake, it's just the best thing. She doesn't need this bullshit. She's a sweet person. You can tell. Yeah, I mean, I just can't help but fantasize about her and her Ashley Darby era, but we'll see. We'll see. Ooh, her Ashley Darby era. I love that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them, the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, 
I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. I want to start out with something I just saw on Instagram literally one moment before we started recording. It's from current episode on Instagram, and it says, let's be honest here. Carl called Austin and convinced him not to come because he didn't want Austin around Lindsay. I personally don't think he was worried whatsoever about Austin's television career or image. And I think what they mean by that is when Paige was saying earlier that Carl called Austin to have him not come that one weekend that Craig came, which I've never really thought about it from that angle. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something to consider. It doesn't feel like something Carl would do. And it also doesn't feel like he was at the point or that him and Lindsay were at the point in their relationship where that would be a thing because it would clearly kind of get back to Lindsay. I I don't know. I really don't know what to think. I don't think it's out of the question, but I also do think he probably spoke to Austin and said like, listen, it's a lot. Like you don't want to overexpose yourself because by the way, he's right. Look what happened. Like Austin gets annihilated on Twitter and Instagram and all over every week for a show that he's not even technically on. And he's getting a lot of flack and it must be really overwhelming for him. So it wasn't the worst advice. I mean, Carl's been on these shows for a while. It's like, you got to sometimes chill out a little bit. Wait, to be clear, I think it was excellent advice and I think he's totally right. I'm just saying hypothetical alternate perspective that I hadn't thought about until I just saw that post is maybe that really was why he was calling Austin. He was looking out for him. He believed that it was oversaturation, which like we said, that's true. But maybe subconsciously, he didn't want him in the house, not because he was concerned that he was going to take Lindsay from him. I mean, at that time, nothing was even going on there, but maybe these feelings were starting to arise subconscious or not. And He didn't need to know that there was another guy that was potentially going to be sleeping in Lindsay's bed that he was supposedly friends with. I'm just saying it's a a subconscious potential. And it's probably also like he knew that every time Austin came, it caused this fucking hurricane throughout the house. And he just didn't need that to happen and knew that Austin would sort of listen and take his advice because that's the position in their friendship that he's in. Right. And also something I wanted to clarify from last week. I remember on last week's episode, we read that post where Lindsay clarified the Montauk situation. And then this episode, they really got into it and she explains how they slept in bed together. But here, it was a little bit of a different tune than what she said on Instagram because we find out here that they slept in bed naked together. And then in the unseen footage, she was talking to Kyle saying, yeah, we probably would have hooked up if he didn't fall asleep. So technically, It's the same story, but it definitely has a little bit of a different spin. Right. Like the end result, I guess, technically is the same. They went to a friend's share house in Montauk. They physically slept in the same bed on the same mattress. But her account of it 
last week was there were no rooms left. You know, we just crashed. Like there was nowhere else to go and it was no big deal. We obviously didn't hook up. But in the moment, like the week after she got back from it, it was a very bragging sort of like, you never know. Like if he hadn't drank so much, we definitely would have hooked up and like we were totally naked. And it's just funny how like the story and the facts can kind of stay the same, but in your retelling of the story, you can completely shift the narrative and the angle of it. And she really did that. Oh, she totally did. And technically the end result, like you said, was the same. So it wasn't really a lie, but I guess I'll put it like this. If she was not with Carl and this situation didn't happen in the way that it was, I bet that her recounting of it at the reunion would have been far more similar to how it was throughout the season. You know, I think that the whole situation with Carl has probably changed that because it's less in her mind. Totally. And I also understand now more of Sierra's reaction of like how it was so fucked up and her hearing it through the grapevine in the house wasn't an overreaction. Like based on the comment she left last week, I thought, okay, them sleeping in the same bed, like maybe not the biggest deal in the world given everything we know now. But from her perspective, what she was hearing in real time based on Lindsay's attitude about telling everybody, I a hundred percent get it. Like for her to hear that, then it would be such a slap in the face. Well, that brings me to my next point, which is I would say this Summer House reunion had some of the best unseen footage we have ever gotten. So much unseen footage. I was like, where where is this all laying around? How do you have a car ride with Lindsay and Andrea when he is talking about fingering her while driving and that didn't make the episode? This is not stuff that you put in the like never before seen episodes. These could have been the juiciest moments of the whole season. Well, even just seeing the conversations between Lindsay and Sierra that we didn't necessarily see the first time. Right. This is a lot of context that we very, very, very well could have used. Wait, something else I saw on Instagram tonight that I wanted to bring up because this goes back to the Sierra, Lindsay, and Austin sleeping in the bed together thing. Faces by Bravo tweeted, why did Sierra phrase it like this? Saying when Sierra said to Lindsay, whether or not he entered you, the hurt is still there. I have to say... I didn't put my finger on it until just seeing that tweet, but there were two times throughout this reunion. The first was last week when Paige said, I don't care who you deem worthy enough to be inside you. And the second time was when Sierra said, entered you. I think that it was an intentional use of language that was rubbing me the wrong way, but I couldn't put my finger on it until just seeing that. I don't know if it was it was just trying to be more vulgar and like draw attention to like the physicality of what actually happened. Or if it was like almost a deflection technique to like make it hurt less for her. Like, you know, think about the difference between saying like he entered you or who was inside of you versus like you made love or like you, you know, I don't know. Like there's so many, again, back to what we were saying about Lindsay, it's the exact same fucking thing, but the way you word it is a hundred percent of the story here. So maybe for her, it was more like, okay, if I make it like it was just a physical act and there was no other feelings or anything in between, it will hurt me less I don't know or almost in a kind of like slut shamey kind of way using really vulgar language like that I don't know I don't know if she did it on purpose or just sort of like what came out okay I think to go with the former would probably be giving Sarah really the benefit of the doubt there because I actually don't think entered you hurts less if anything I actually find that to be slightly more intimate I think that it was intentionally vulgar, not to slut shame necessarily, but yeah, to call attention to the physicality of the potential action. 
it just didn't sit right with me. It's so not a big deal. Like it is not something worth harping on, but I noticed that I had picked up on that and I didn't really know how to verbalize it. And then I just saw that tweet and I was like, yes, both of those instances when Paige said it and when Sierra said it, it rubbed me the wrong way. And and that's coming from someone who thinks that Lindsay handled it really shitty as well. It was just like, that's a very interesting note. I don't know if I would have picked up on it, but I, I did feel like, hmm, that's like definitely a way to put it. Yeah. I think that the most impactful conversation from this reunion, hands down, was the one between Sarah and Danielle. Both a lot of conversations that they had. I think that they like actually heard each other about things for the first time and also felt some allowance of a conversation in a way they hadn't before. Like this was actually what a reunion is all about, where it gives you like this space and this open forum to say exactly what you're thinking and feeling and like have a constructive conversation, which I think neither of them had ever felt before in like the comfort of the house or even after they hadn't spoken at all. Well, this is the type of situation where nobody else in that room would have ever asked Danielle why she didn't say anything when Maya and Sierra were leading that conversation on race. Mm -hmm. Like this was a very specific type of thing that would only come up in a reunion setting. And her answer was honestly super transformative because it allowed for this greater conversation because it was twofold. On one hand, she was like, I wanted to give space and grace to the conversation knowing that I'm not a black person in the house. But I also felt that Sierra did not include me as a person of color in her discussion and that was hurtful. And so, I mean, it's not at all my place to comment on how this was done, but solely as a viewer, I found it to be really impactful and I was learning a lot just from listening. Yeah. And I also feel like it was a great moment for both of them to hear each other and feel like they were being heard. Like you could tell that Danielle was happy to say that and happy to be heard by Sierra and vice versa. And I don't know. I feel like even though they're not leaving best friends or even maybe even friends at all, because I just don't think that they click. I do feel like they're leaving on a much better, cleaner slate than they entered on. And I feel like that's kind of the goal here. Totally. And I actually think that it was after this episode where Maya and Sierra led this conversation when we came on the podcast and we said, this was a prime example of how the age difference in these shows is super telling in terms of how these conversations are handled. Obviously, Ramona is maybe the worst example, so I don't mean to put everyone in her age and her <laughs> category. Like That is not what I'm saying. But I do think there's definitely something to be said for just the younger generation and their ability to have these conversations. And I felt that same way again at the reunion, not only with this conversation, but also when Alex was voicing what happened to him over the summer and just In my opinion, it was genuine anger from his fellow castmates that he had to go through that. And I don't know if we would have experienced this. It's a terrible thing to say, but I don't know if we would have experienced that same reaction from Housewives necessarily. No, and honestly, I was happy to hear Andy read the comment that said, I feel like this is the most productive conversation on race that we've ever heard on Bravo because – They've tried it. He's tried it. You know, they've tried it a million times. And that was sort of like the conversation that we saw right after the episodes aired. And I'm glad that they were able to like overall acknowledge it and also say like 100% this is how it always should be done. And by the way, a great example for everybody watching to see how conversations like that can be done. Well, that's what I'm saying. I I feel like so many times on these shows, what we see is a real example of how not to do it. And so I guess it's refreshing for Bravo to have an example of maybe a productive form of conversation. Definitely. Wait, it was so funny when they were talking about Carl and Danielle hooking up because you could tell every single person wanted to erase that memory from their minds. God, it's like the situation where you've hooked up with someone and then they become literally your sibling. And I'm not even saying like in a Lindsay Carl way that we've been saying, but like 
it's your best best friend's boyfriend who you also live with a lot of the time in the summer it's just like too far and definitely something that both of them wanted to completely erase and just hope no one ever brought up but it also just like reminds me of almost like a camp friend or like a teen tour group where everyone is just incestuous like that's the best way to put it Andy was so right and when they roll that montage it's like I think Amanda said you know good best friends lick each other's nipples yeah (laughs) I mean pretty much every single person in that group had hooked up with one another and that's exactly to our earlier point about I love one of the yeah but forget about us loving it that's one of the reasons that Andy loves it so much he has so much fun with this I know oh I had so much fun with it too I know. Wait, the other thing that was super interesting for me was to see the rest of the cast's reaction when Andy asked Carl and Lindsay the question about moving in together because Mm. you could tell this was the first a lot of them were hearing of it. And I know Amanda and Lindsay aren't the closest necessarily, but Kyle and Carl are really, really close. So you would think if Carl had had this conversation with Kyle that Amanda would have known. So to me, her shock at least made me feel like this is not something they've discussed that openly with the rest of the group. And also when she was saying like, uh, you know, we'll maybe rent something, buy in the Hamptons or we'll buy in the city, like they're going down the line. Buying a house with someone is a way bigger commitment than putting an engagement ring on, I think. Like obviously in theory it's not, but that's a huge thing to talk about. And I feel like they're also in such a unique situation for so many billion reasons that they were friends before, they're on a TV show together. But solely the fact that they live in the same building adds a lot of like I I guess it's a good thing for their relationship because they don't have to immediately move in like they basically live together but have separate spaces but also a lot of pressure if for some reason this didn't work out I don't know how much longer they have on their leases but if they didn't work out it would be so hard anyway and then like they live a couple floors down from each other I don't know it just everything about their relationship that could possibly make it more complex and unrelatable to everybody in the world they have it's like a checklist let me ask you a question okay okay just a yes or no i know you hate when i do this but yes or no if somebody asked you do you think in a year from now they will be engaged what's your answer um does it have to be a year can i say like in the next two years you can say in the next two years yeah i think they'll be engaged okay then my follow-up question is do you think we are going to see a wedding like you think they make it to the wedding oh like are we going to see it on TV or will the wedding happen? Will the wedding happen? Oh, my God. You know, I think so. Uh, what I do you think? Th- what do you think about engagement and then what do you think about wedding? I think – I kind of think yes for both. But I don't know if that's just because I want it for them really badly. Yeah. I guess like second option would be – I. I I think they will definitely get engaged. Like a thousand percent, I think they'll get engaged. It's the direction they're going. Like, like you said last week, she's literally freezing her eggs with him. Like, not, I don't know with him, but like physically, he's there taking her to the procedure. I feel like it's totally in the cards for them. Getting married, I don't know. It's like, it's tricky. That my second choice would be that they definitely get engaged. They're engaged for like two years and then something happens. I hope it doesn't. And it seems like they really get each other. And because of all the history they have together and what they've seen each other go through and like learn about each other, they're in a completely different spot than anybody else. Again, back to the uniqueness. I just, I don't know. I hope it works out. I I truly do. I love them. I'm rooting for them. 
a lot of people were bringing this point up, which I don't necessarily feel comfortable commenting on, but I did see the conversation online, which is for the last few months, she's really tried to be supportive of his journey with sobriety by being sober herself. And like she says, it's not something that I'm going to do forever, but it's something that I'm doing for now. And you can tell that that's been a really positive thing in their relationship, which I do think is beautiful. But something that's worthy of a discussion is once she decides that being sober is no longer something she desires, just how they navigate that together. Not saying they can't, but I totally think it's a legitimate point to bring up. Mm, it is. Well, what I thought was interesting was that she said no matter what happens, her relationship and outlook on it has changed. So I guess that's sort of like a good thing where it doesn't feel like she's being held back. I don't know. I really don't know how that happens. It, it's complicated for sure, but I am glad that she was able and it shows how committed she is to him that like she was willing to take that step as his partner to get him over that one-year finish line and continue it on. I would say the majority opinion online from what I've seen is people being really here for this relationship. But the opposing argument that I've seen a little bit of is people saying they feel like, I don't want to use the word Lindsay is dimming herself slightly, but maybe a little bit. She's slightly more subdued to kind of fit into what makes sense for Carl's world right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know her personally. I don't know what's going on. But, you know, I guess as I think about this, like, is that something that's potential? Sobriety aside, is there a part of her that is maybe calming herself because she knows that that is the most conducive to their relationship? Or is it just that being in such a healthy, stable relationship with someone she trusts and has open communication with calms her a little? I, I hate to use the word calm because it sounds like she was like super frenetic before, but she's self-proclaimed a little bit, you know, chaotic. And I definitely think the chaos factor has slowed down a little, but is that because of Carl, because she's trying to appease Carl or is it because she's just in a really happy place? And so naturally her temperament has changed a little. Okay. I have three things I want to say. Yeah. Number one, they really fucked with us with the teaser when they were showing Andy asking, you know, none of you like Carl Lindsay's posts on social media. Like, are you guys not here for that relationship? Everyone basically was saying we're here for it. Like they weren't saying we don't like it on purpose. Like there's a reason this is like an intervention. So that was different than I expected. Two, I was surprised by Amanda again coming in with this attitude of trying to protect Lindsay and saying, I just feel like you're moving really fast. Like this is a lot at once. And it, it certainly is fast, but it's also not like they just met two months ago. Like she knows him. They've gone through a lot of stuff together. They have foundation, whatever. So the Amanda angle was interesting. And three, back to what you were just saying about Carl, quote, like calming her. I definitely feel that. But then the other half of me feels like, Maybe Carl is her balance. Maybe she's hit this point in her life where that's not her anymore. She doesn't need to be so out there, out of the box the way she was because she's not like trying to find somebody or trying to impress somebody the way she was when she was with Stravi, her ex-boyfriend. I mean, there's a billion different factors here. I feel like she's really changed, but almost in a better maturing way. But then like, I don't know, we still saw her this summer being kind of a kook, but that was also because of, I guess, the relationship status and almost her like, what am I doing with my life moment? So I'd be curious to see next summer, let's say she is or isn't sober, how does that look? Like, is she all of a sudden like a wallflower at a party? I don't know how that is. I'm not even saying that the alcohol is a c contribution. I'm just saying her personality is usually very much like center of attention, life of the party, loudest girl in the room. 
Right. And I think that when having this conversation, you can almost go down a potentially dangerous road by starting to subscribe to the narrative that she is a changed woman because of Carl, which I think is entirely unfair and also removes any sort of credit from her in terms of her evolution as like a person. I think that there is just something about feeling utter safety with another human being where you are comfortable and you're safe and you can kind of just relax for a moment that naturally changes a person. So it's not because of Carl, it's because of the mutual safety that they clearly provide one another. And to me, that's like a really beautiful thing, whether or not you like them. Yeah, it it totally is. The other thing that I wanted to say is Andy was 100% right when he said to Paige, you know, your body language of this entire reunion is really something. She would not turn. And I love Paige, but that posture excuse was bullshit. She didn't want to turn to them. And it was awkward, I think, the situation with Carl, because it's one thing for her and Lindsay to not get along, but I don't think her or Carl necessarily saw this coming. And I have to tell you that I don't think Carl necessarily owed Paige an apology. But I felt it was a super stand-up guy thing to do. I think they just really weren't seeing eye to eye and it was annoying her a lot, this new dynamic that she's not used to, which is Lindsay and Carl protecting each other no matter what and her not having Craig there and being defensive about her shit. I get it. Like, I don't get it. I I think Paige had some attitude and chip on her shoulder about something, I think, maybe that we don't know about or that she just was feeling and was not going to give them the time of day. But they both said things to each other that were shitty and just were not getting along. Like, seriously, that's really what I feel is like they had tension and I don't know. I They haven't seen each other in so long and I think they're not really keeping in touch and they, she just had a bad taste in her mouth. Yeah, and it was very palpable. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is I'm just glad to see Andrea coming out on top. I love him so much. I thought you were going to say Kristen Cavallari. <laughs> Well, that whole thing. Every time she comes up, I am immediately transported back. I'm just like, how is this happening? I can't. I have to tell you, though, I would consider Andy Cohen to be one of the most knowledgeable people on pop culture and reality television and all of these different facets. I mean, it's literally his job. But I still feel like there was a part of him that didn't fully understand the magnitude of what a Kristen Cavallari ex-Bravo love triangle was. And I think that's just a generational thing. Like he didn't grow up watching Laguna Beach in the hills in the way that we did. And I want to be to him like, I know you think this is major, but you don't even know how major it would be if you really understood Kristen Cavallari as a whole. I just get transported back to a year ago when you and I were recording, like still in very quarantine times. And Craig was going live with Austin and Kristen and Justin Anderson. And we were just absolutely freaking out at the fact that Kristen Cavallari even knew like what Southern Charm was. Like we couldn't even believe that Kristen Cavallari knew that there was a channel called Bravo. Like that to us was like, holy (laughs) shit. The fact that they're even hanging out and like probably talking about things that we know and talk about is insane and wild and so like starstruck. So then to add this new layer that now Craig is dating Paige and it was overlapped and she had to be like worried about him hooking up with another girl who was Kristen motherfucking Cavallari. Like, no, I'm sorry. That's crazy. And even Paige herself will say this and she says it all the time. She like thought it was cool because look where we ended up now. It's just like funny to look back at. She's probably going to marry Craig. It's just cool. Like, oh, my boyfriend was hooking up with Kristen. She's like, I just want to meet her. Like that was my idol. No, it is it is very cool. And I feel like if you grew up in our generation, you understand how cool it is. I mean, Kristen Cavallari was the 
original cool girl, you know, everyone just thought she was. And so it's it's wild. It is really wild. I mean, like Paige is going to get to say that her husband, the father of her children, was hooking up with Kristen Cavallari. Like, I'm sorry. That's so cool. Like, I guess the reverse would be like Craig being able to say like, yeah, my wife, like, you know, she used to like go on dates with, I don't know, Tom Brady. <laughs> okay. Well, that feels like a big jump, but I don't yeah. know. No, I guess, to I me, it's know. a flex. To me, it's a flex. Absolutely. I, I understand what you mean. <laughs> Kristen Cavallari <laughs> is the Tom Brady of our generation. No, no, it's just you don't understand how funny it is for me when either of us, but specifically you, makes a sports reference. Like it is to me. There's nothing funnier. Like, I don't know anything about sports. Like <laughs> not one thing I know. Obviously, neither do I, but there's just something about you specifically like, <laughs> like, like, that I know you were proud of yourself for pulling Tom Brady out of your hat. <laughs> I literally said it out loud. I was like, that doesn't sound right. Is his name Tom? <laughs> Giselle's husband. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention about this, and I just saw a really funny meme from Ryan Bailey that I want to post on the CBC story, which is him saying, the only lawyer up for the job of Kyle and Amanda's prenup, and it's a photo of Craig. It is the prenup conversation because I got to tell you, Amanda, I love you, girl, but you played yourself here. This was not your best look. Get your shit together. Right. What I wanted to say to her is I appreciate the honesty, but this isn't what you think it is. You know, don't do it for anyone else. Do it for yourself. You're at the point in your life where you need to know these things. And to me, I mean, again, it's not my life, but laziness isn't an excuse. Like this is real money. These are real life things that you're dealing with. And if it's as important to you as you say it is, then do some research. I understand Kyle's frustration, honestly. Like, I do something too. Realistic, important, and honestly, very organized and mature of him. It wasn't a dig at her. And I guess like, I don't know, I guess we talk about it and read about it so much just in this world that I'm not jaded by it anymore. But she really operates with like that mindset that we had maybe five, 10 years ago that a prenup was like such a slap in the face, like, oh, you're just going to divorce me. And it's because you think I'm going to steal your money. And it's like, no, it's not that at all. It's like, it's like a security deposit. Like, obviously, you hope nothing's going to happen, but you fucking have it anyway. No, but it wasn't even that to me. It wasn't even her potentially antiquated view on the concept of a prenup. It was more so her lack of willingness to really dive into understanding it. That's what I found to be frustrating if I was Kyle. Like, it's one thing if you do your research and are like, you know what? I really looked into this and I still do not stand by it. I disagree, but at least I respect it. I don't believe that your opinion can be respected when you are the one that's acknowledging you haven't looked into it. It's 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 totally unfair. Well, because you know if the tables were turned and there was something like really adult or important to her that she wanted Kyle to be interested in or look into a research and form an opinion about and he didn't and wouldn't even do it or go there, she would say he's lazy and why do you never do anything I want you to do and like it would be a whole argument. So that – I get it. Like that to me is really frustrating and I feel like we've been so frustrated on – her behalf all season it was almost a little nice for him to have a moment to be like okay see like I'm not the only one that fucks up here it was nice I mean I what two episodes ago I was like the most heated I've maybe ever been like you heard me I was I was going off about Kyle I never do that and then I it it did feel nice to kind of I don't say feel sympathy for him but to be in his corner for a moment yeah because I've heard him say a lot of times like and even we have said 
it's a 50-50 relationship here. Obviously, his outburst and freakouts and moments are way more interesting than I think little things that maybe she does on her end. But of course, everybody does things right. Like she's not perfect and neither is he. So it's definitely hard when you're watching a TV show. They can only pick moments here and there and you don't get to see their full relationship and 100% scope. Yeah, completely. How many times do you think Andy asked Kyle about his penis? This reunion or ever? Just, just, well, I guess ever. I was thinking this reunion, but really never. (laughs) Uh, The answer is a lot to both. Something that I'm shocked by is that Andy didn't reference the bus scene when Paige said that Andrea was the biggest guy she's ever been with. (laughs) I love that. You know he wanted to. Maybe he did. But I also feel like he's not trying to stir the pot with Paige and Craig and like, pull back on the Andrea and Paige like love triangle moment. I feel like he really was respectful of keeping that what it was. Yeah, but even if he didn't center it around Paige, if he just directly looked at Andrea, I'm not saying he should have. I'm just saying Right. Okay, like here, here, I'll do it. Andrea has a field here. Paige say you're the biggest guy she's ever been with. Right. Like that to me, that is the epitome of an Andy Cohen question. And I guess I was surprised that we didn't get that. But again, based on the unseen footage from the season, I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of unseen footage from this reunion and we heard we heard him say that it was six hours of filming and we got two so where's the rest of the four because if you're selling it i'm i'm buying it it's unfortunate (laughs) yes is there anything else that you wanted to mention from this reunion i mean i'm sure we missed a bunch of shit no i i loved it i'm sad the season's over but again felt like it was time and i'm ready for winter house i'm ready for southern charm and it's gonna be great no, like I'm really ready for Potomac. I need Karen Huger. I'm, I'm I know. missing her. I love you know? her so much. So much. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening and letting us do this. And we will be back tomorrow for Kardashians. I can't wait. Oh, did you end it or no? No. Oh, I said this on the Monday episode and I'm going to say it on Kardashians, but I want to say it again just as a reminder. We are off the entire week of Memorial Day. So that's the week of May 30th, all three episodes. I'll remind you again, but just to let everyone know in advance. 